Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It, it it could happen here. It's it's the podcast that's called It Could Happen Here. Uh, think, things fall apart and put them back together again, et cetera, et cetera. We're slightly rushing this intro because Garrison had to leave in like 10 minutes, not 10 minutes, but moments, yeah. We're, moments away. Yeah. So we've spent a lot of time covering the sort of various aspects of the trans genocide. We haven't the, – the aspect – the angle we haven't covered that much is the New York Times. And partially that's my fault because if I, I – Every time I've tried to write something about the New York Times, it's devolved into about seven hours of me reading every single time the New York Times wrote an article that was pro-Hitler. So, you know, it's 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 difficult to be what you would describe as reasonably objective when you're talking about these people and not just start yelling about the Iraq war. However, comma, other people have done a very, very good job about this, and things have developed in the sort of world of the New York Times printing just a incredibly bizarre transphobic articles and to talk about one of these things and, and some developments on one of their stories uh we are talking to evan urquhart of assigned media who has published a very very good story about some real nonsense that the new york times <laughs> journalists have gotten up to so evan welcome to the show yeah thanks for having me uh, always glad to talk about nonsense yeah, it's been it's been a, it's been a real time. Also, here is Garrison. Yes, um, hello. Yeah, so I guess okay. I th- I think the place to start with this is getting people caught up with the incredibly bizarre story of Jamie Reed, 
So I guess I wanted to start there. Can you talk a little bit about who Jamie Reed is and how the New York Times and a bunch of other very less reputable somehow newspapers got involved with this? Yeah. So, I mean, there are certainly reputable newspapers that have looked into the allegations of former gender clinic staff member in St. Louis, Jamie Reed. And um, those organizations, including local papers, have found that her allegations didn't uh, hold up. She um, this was uh, months ago, kind of the beginning of the year, I believe, Um, She kind of came forward with great fanfare and an Alliance defending uh, freedom lawyer (laughs) and said that the gender clinic she once worked at was harming children. They weren't engaging in informed consent. They were pressuring parents to go along with these harmful treatments. Uh, Horrifying stuff that if true would be just a major, major scandal, if true. And um, the allegations fell apart pretty quickly. Um, numerous parents and patients came back, came you know forward saying this is nothing like what we've experienced. Um, some of that was pretty directly refuting things that she said, such as you know kids never got any therapy; they just saw a therapist for an hour and an endocrinologist for an hour and were immediately approved for hormones. And so people came forward saying, "I did six months of therapy. I did nine months yeah, of therapy." Yeah, like, I, I wish you could do that. Like, no, <laughs> right? <come on. laughs> like, right? I mean, <sighs> it was very wild and and very discredited. And then, um, for some reason, apparently back in May, Azim Gureshi of the New York Times started looking into this story, and um, she didn't find anything different. I mean, if you look at her reporting, if anything, she found even more evidence that Jamie Reed is not accurate and not on the up and up. But the story yeah. that she came out with is really, really weird. And and and, and I think the thing the thing that that is the most I don't know, at least at least before before the most recent round of incredibly bizarre stuff the thing that's the most infuriating to me about the sort of jamie reed story is that the the thing that had come out by the time the new york times was writing about it was that it it looked a lot like if if you look at the stuff that jamie reed had been doing and people talking about their experiences with her it looked like she was trying to sabotage kids getting health care because she personally didn't believe in it I talked to a parent, a parent who was also talked to by the New York Times, who um, had really just wanted like an educational visit for her like eight year old. And Jamie Reed said, we can't do anything for you. Um, Sorry. Uh, You know, we can only bring you in if your child is an adolescent ready to go on hormone therapy. And so after the allegations came out, this parent got in touch with the clinic Jamie Reed had left and they were like, what are you talking about? We do educational appointments yeah. all the time. Come in. They spent, you know, almost two hours talking to the family about the different, you know, medical possibilities in the far future and just, you know, trying to help educate the kid about their body and their options years and years before they'd ever need anything. Yeah, which is really infuriating because like the actual story here is that, you know, even even clinics that are like trying to do the right thing wind up with just incredibly deranged cis people who basically can at every point in the process act as a gatekeeper and decide that, like, you don't get to get treatment. And that's awful and is, is one of them. I mean, you know, 
even even in place even even in parts of the US at clinics that are good that is a thing that can just happen to you is you get this sort of gatekeeper stuff but instead of doing that instead of again covering the story they had been handed about someone trying to keep kids from getting healthcare they did this they you know this this turned into this like like full court press against wait Gary you my, you all right? <laughs> my, I, close the, I have to close my door because the air conditioner is way too loud in the oh, other room. Oh, okay. But the cats start, sitting But there? now the cats start screaming at the door. But now I open the door and they, and they don't want to come in. So they're just like on the threshold just like staring at me. I'm like, make a choice. Come in or come out. And I think, I we're, think we're leaving this in. This is great content. <laughs> they're out. They're gone. They, start, okay. they had their chance. They they blew it. <laughs> yeah, what, what happens instead is this is this sort of like full court press with a bunch of you know like starting in sort of conservative media and then moving into sort of liberal media, like oh. using the story as an example of like why why we have to like stop, like we have to shut down clinics and stuff. All and while I, I children's know. hospitals are getting bomb threats. Uh, yeah, constantly, um, every mostly, day, mostly due to kind of prodding. By ghouls at the Daily Wire who are hunting for clicks, and yeah. that is also a, a big part of this is like th- this tactic of attacking like healthcare centers and clinics proved to be a pretty good recipe to go viral. Um, that's what the Daily Wire discovered, and that's something the New York Times certainly took notice of as well. Uh, is that hey, this is this is a way to drive a lot of attention towards our website, um, and that that is just another another angle about this. This sort of thing, which also like it, it, it leads to real world consequences, not just in terms of healthcare getting restricted, but also like threats of violence against doctors. Um, the right has historically been completely willing to carry out acts of violence against healthcare workers, um, and let alone you know trying threatening to bomb a children's hospital. Yeah, and the exact allegations were were really devastating for these families. I mean, Absolutely. I talked to Heidi, who's you know. Her daughter's personal medical history was misrepresented, shared with the world, shared in a million articles, and used to um, to fuel gender affirming care bans. You know, I mean, that is like really damaging for a like yeah. 17, 18 year old who's just trying to like live her life in kind of a conservative town. Which also, and, and, and this is another another aspect of this is like. She is sharing the private medical history of patients at a clinic, which you are not allowed to do. That is a which is very funny for people who rant about these. All of these people they yell about HIPAA literally HIPAA. all the time. They and we finally got one. We finally got an actual HIPAA violation. And uh, yeah, I think the HIPAA thing has been I mean, you know, Azingarashi could have gotten that story, I feel like. I mean, I think it's been really undercovered. My understanding is that healthcare workers are not supposed to have to share information that's identifiable to the patient. Yeah. And we have a patient saying, I could tell this was my story. And so, again, I'm not a lawyer, but I think that people have underestimated the extent to which real families could look at these allegations and say, this is me yeah. twisted distorted used to hurt my family and other families like mine and there's kind of no outrage about that it's kind of this neglected backwater of this story yeah and i mean i mean the thing it reminds me the most of is the is the original like vaccines cause autism story 
where you have someone who is incredibly politically motivated, who is incredibly unreliable, who's demonstrably unreliable, who is not someone who's, you know, who's someone who in the field, everyone's like, what what is going on here? This is complete nonsense, who like misrepresents and just straight up lies about about like about about their patients and then also it turns out like has abused their patients or in, the, in this case it's not has abused a patient but in this case he's like has successfully like stopped parents from being able to talk to the clinic about what the options for their kids are but the media sort of doesn't care about that all all they all they see is sort of this story and they they just sort of latch onto it and then they spread all of this stuff and it's like you know it reminds it reminds me a lot of that we're like wait we're still dealing with the consequences of just the completely fake bullshit about like vaccism vaccines supposedly causing autism which and, and and again like that that's something that never that never would have gotten mainstreamed if the media hadn't picked it up and ran with it and yet you know every single time one of these absolute like politically motivated frauds like gets up on the stands like there's there's the new york times do, doing doing their article about it and, and 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 like this used to be like glenn beck's territory who would like bring out like a chalkboard and make like a make like a crazy wall with like yarn and string um and now it's it, it it actually has been relegated to the New York Times. The, the 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 sort of the sort of coverage they're doing over these types of like moral panics around healthcare. Uh, I think like if 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 you look at like Fox News twenty years ago, this this was the type of stuff that they did for a long time before it was actually a little bit too insane, and they had to like fire Glenn Beck. Um, and it's it's this it's the same sort of stuff now that's propagated by people like the Daily Wire. Uh, and then picked up on by even more kind of mainstream publications. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All 
I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I mean, I think what's so insidious about this story in particular and some of the other New York Times stories is that they represent this as being their deep investigative journalism. They represent this as being the finest that the Times produces. And here is, you know, the mother of a trans girl who went to the reporter and said, I can prove to you, I have medical records, I have emails to prove to you that what is in this allegation is about my family and isn't true. The reporter takes that and kind of sticks it in at the end. You know, like it's not lying, but it is so totally distorting the truth that it feels like lying. It feels worse than lying. Almost. Yeah, especially because there's like like thousands of people who will just read the headline. They're not going to scroll to the bottom of the thing and read a, read, a, read a little disclaimer being like, haha, JK. It's like, there's a line on everything. <laughs> that's, like... not, that's not good enough. Yeah, and, and I think this gets into the part that – so you very recently talked to uh, the mother of one of the girls who was – you know, who, who Jamie Reed has been lying about. And I talked you to, discovered, three, to three of the parents who, um, who Azine had talked to. Yeah, and you discovered some very disturbing and incredibly bizarre stuff that Azine was doing to get parents to – Day in the story after reads and like this, this was in her follow up story after a bunch of people came out and were like, hey, this is like not <laughs> correct. This, this person has, in fact, been lying about this. Yeah. So could you could you go into uh, what you found about this? Yeah, it was truly, truly bizarre. I mean, I going in, there were some parents that contacted me because they'd spoken to Azine Gureshi and they were really upset about the story. And, you know, I went into it thinking, I'm going to do them a favor. I'm going to let them feel heard. They feel disappointed about the story. This kind of happens in journalism. I was not expecting what I got. So this parent had been very um, suspicious of Azine because of Azine's previous um, writing about trans issues. And so um, I think she and her family kind of were very cautious and very savvy. And they said, we don't want to be part of a story that's going to be negative on this clinic that we feel saved our daughter's life. So, you know, I'm willing to talk to you. I'm willing to give you this information about this person who lied about our daughter's history. But if you're going to turn that into a hit piece on the clinic, we don't want to be part of it. And Azine you know, reassured her, calmed her fears. And so, you know, they were going forward, but cautiously. And then this mother sees um, Azine at a courthouse where Jamie Reed was testifying about the allegations um, in Missouri um, and just sees the the warm relationship between Azine and Jamie Reed. And she thinks something isn't right here. I helped her catch this person in a lie, but they're all, you know, buddy, buddy. That seems weird. So she, um, you know, she, she first went up to Jamie Reed and confronted her. She said, I'm liver toxicity, mom. Um, and, you know, she again noticed that Jamie Reed is kind of saying, oh, how can I help you? What do you want? And like looking to a zine, like save me from this crazy person. 
And so that's when the mother said, we're out. We're not, we're not going to be part of the story. And Azim did not take that for an answer. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is... Yeah, <laughs> it's nuts. Um, she followed them to their car as they're trying to leave. She stood in the car door so they couldn't drive away saying, you know, please keep talking, keep talking. You know, I need, I don't know exactly what she's saying, but like, I need you in the story. And, um, you know, the mom says like, no, Azine, we're out. Could please step away from the car? And they drove away. And then Azine called them and called them. And they picked up and Azine managed to convince them to let her come over to the, their hotel room. This is the night before the New York Times article published. And so now um, Heidi and her husband and Azine are in this hotel room. And Azine is going paragraph by paragraph, telling her everything that's in the story, trying to convince her that it's not a hit piece on the clinic. And the family isn't buying it at all. The family is like, no, you're describing a hit piece on the clinic. We're yeah. out. <laughs> But they're left with this horrible, horrible conundrum, because if they actually pull out of the article, which as far as I can tell, they really did have this agreement. Again, Azim wouldn't talk to me. So like, it's a little unclear what the agreement was or exactly what's going on here. Um, but in the end, they decided, you know, there's no evidence that this woman lied if we pull out of the story. So they felt that they had kind of no choice even though they felt completely betrayed, completely devastated that their story was going to be used in this way, they felt they had no choice but to stay in. Yeah. And then like the, and the way that like it ends the article, like is, is basically like the article is like completely supportive of Jamie Reed, even though again, demonstrably in the article, she is lying. Such a weird Which, article. You find someone's lying, but you're still spending all of your words saying, well, so she sort she lied this one time, but she's basically credible. Just bizarre. Yeah, and then, you know, and the, the New York Times' response to this is, like, the piece you're referring to was rigorously <laughs> a reporter and edited and thoughtful and sensitive to the moment the, sta the Times stands behind its publication unreservedly. It's like, well, yeah, of, of, cor of course it meets the New York Times, like, incredibly demanding standards for journalism. These are the people who published, like, these are the people who published the yellow cake uranium story. Like, these people, <laughs> like, these people have published things that, like, a, a, a like, these, these people have pu published stuff about the rock war that like british tabloids wouldn't publish so like yeah I, I, like it, it's it's not it's not i don't i don't think it's that surprising to me that like the new york times was like this passion editorial standards but that's because again the new york times backed hitler and like I deliberately mean, forced the entire country <laughs> into starting a war by straight up lying about a bunch of stuff they knew was fake let me take a moment and say there are a lot of reporters who work for the new york times who do really great work very, very occasionally, it's even about trans issues, but like it is certainly not a monolith of ridiculous nonsense. It's just all of the good work kind of camouflages the ridiculous nonsense and lets them get it through when they when they go on a tear, when they go on a crusade against, you know, against someone. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's they. I don't know, the New York Times. They they pick they pick their moments to get incredibly ideological about yes. things, and then they hide behind the more normal reporting they do in order to sort of like disguise the fact that again their sort this this person knows that their sources lie is demonstrably lying to them. I just I don't know. It, it's it's the, the thing that was interesting to me about the story too is that Azina is someone who up until this point like 
seems to have like like from from everything I, I I had been aware of Azine from Azine did really good um, Me Too reporting I believe on yeah, uh, um, the science in, in, in community ast- astronomy community yeah in astronomy yeah. which I like. A thing I don't talk about enormously was that I did astronomy for a little bit. I didn't do very much astronomy, but there was a there was a, a small amount of time where I wanted to do astronomy, and so like I knew a bunch of the people like in that scene. And Zine had a very very good rep there as like the person you could go to to talk about like like to to, to do a B two story, which makes it even more weird that you know I, I guess this is just. I don't know. I'm, I'm hesitant to just brush this off as sort of like trans brain where like some like a, a cis reporter starts covering trans stuff and just completely loses their mind. But, you know, it, it, it's it's a really startling and disturbing like shift from this I mean, person who had a very, very good rep on. Yes. Like as someone you could go to to like her standing in someone's car door trying to stop a family from driving away because they want because they don't want to be involved in a story where she's lying about them. Who who could have thought that a radical feminist could be trans exclusionary? <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> Holy shit, guys. Uh, <laughs> What's I mean, going on? People are complicated. It, I yeah. think, has to do with who she feels sympathy for. Um, and women in science are maybe people that she feels sympathy for and who she, for I have no idea what reason, doesn't. And, like, innocent parents of trans youth are apparently people she doesn't really have that empathy for, have that ability yeah. to... Or the kids themselves, apparently. I mean, as a trans person, I never expect a reporter to um, oh, have yeah, empathy no. for me. But these <laughs> white parents, these middle class white parents, <laughs> please, you must take them seriously. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? 
All I ask for in payment is a tail. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The other thing I I think I wanted to talk about was the impact that this reporting has had on the broader. So we we, we alluded to this a little bit, but yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the way that right wing sort of right wing lawyers like right wing politicians have been using like specifically this coverage and also sort of like the 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 fear mongering around gender clinics as something they're using to support like health to support healthcare bans on trans youth. Yeah. Jamie Reed's allegations directly resulted in a ban on gender affirming care in Missouri. Um, you know, there were families that were going to the legislature week after week and were keeping it at bay. And then these allegations came out and it fell apart and the care ban was passed. And, um, you know, it would be bad enough if they found a bad clinic, but, you know, there, there's nothing miraculous about doctors who treat trans people that makes them incapable of being unethical, you know, like it would have been devastating if it was the truth, but for it to have been, you know, all based on lies is, it's just a really tough blow. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like I, I have friends there and it's, it's like, it's bleak right now. And I, I think I've been really, you know, I mean, I, I don't know why I would, ex- I expected these people to sort of like even remotely feel a single emotion about the fact that that d- directly the stuff, the, the actions that they did led directly to a bunch of kids losing their health care. But, you know, there's been no, there's been no reckoning with this, right? As, as best I can tell, neither the New York Times nor any of the journalists involved, any of the editors, any of the publishers, none of these people seem to care at all about the fact that their about their work directly is leading to the suffering and possibly death of children. And I don't know, like I, I this is one of those things where like either either something about this changes and you know we, we, we get to a point where it's unacceptable to sort of do this kind of stuff, or we just, you know, we we wait for the next round of journalists to like find some absolute crank who they like dug out of some like deranged suburban McMansion somewhere to like push, push another one of these stories because right now, like this is, this is, this appears to just be an established path that you can use to sort of like, you know, like from, from both ends, right. It's a thing you can use as a journalist to advance your career. And it's a thing you can use as like a crank to be suddenly on the talk show circuit to get a bunch of money. It's just lying about all of this stuff. Yep. And I mean, you know, you try to inject some accountability, but you can't make people listen. Um, you know, this is what I do every day and I'm going to keep doing it, but I, I'm under no illusions that since people are necessarily going to start listening, um, it's just, you got to put it out there. Yeah. So I, I guess two more things I wanted to ask about before we sort of wrap up. One is, okay. So on, on the off chance that there are cis journalists listening to this, um, what kinds of things would you recommend to them to like to make to make sure you a don't fall down this rabbit hole and b to make sure that if you are attempting to write a story that is good that you get things right? 
Yeah. So the Trans Journalist Association recently published an updated style guide, which I would absolutely um, suggest people check out because it's much more in-depth than anything that I can say. But I think that the biggest pitfall people have is thinking that they understand more than they do. So, um, and, and I think that the kind of connected pitfall is, is just a, wow, there's smoke, there's fire. Like, well, there must be more to the skeptical side than there really is. So while I, you know, always try to butter journalists up by saying you can make up your own mind and, you know, look at the evidence, like really engage with trans people who are not just telling their stories, but who are science reporters themselves, like myself, really engage with experts who are not trans, but who understand this medical information and are representatives of a mainstream medical consensus, and really try to you know, understand that the experts are experts for a reason and the mainstream consensus is a mainstream consensus for a reason. And don't be so quick to just assume that a bunch of activists and cranks know something that everyone else is trying to keep from you, because that is a conspiratorial mindset that is below you as a mainstream cisgender journalist and that you wouldn't be falling into with, you know, masks or anti-vax or whatever. And it's just because trans people are marginalized that I think people are kind of falling for this crap and getting rolled. You are not yeah. immune to conspiratorial thinking. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is this is something. This is something I'm going to talk about at length more in uh, one day. The like sixty five thousand word thing that I've been writing about the lab leak stuff is going to come out, and you know one one of the uh, God, I've, I have I, I have spent so many hours talking to epidemiologists. You have no idea. But uh, one one of the things that you know comes up there, and it comes up also just in general science conspiratism is. If if someone like people who actually do normal science do not start yelling about how they're being censored by the scientific establishment and like there's a, a giant conspiracy to stop them from talking about their work, even people who legitimately are being like actually screwed over by scientific establishment, right? People who have been abused, people you know, like people of color, people from marginalized backgrounds who. Like I like I know these people, right? I grew up with a bunch of these people. They don't talk like this about that the only people who talk like this are absolute cranks and it would be really great if journalists realized that like actual scientists don't talk about science in, in in a way where they're like ah the medical establishment is censoring me i would i would love for that to happen i i don't know i'm skeptical that it will happen because it's I mean, you know it's, it's a great story <laughs> Everyone knows that there are times when the medical uh, or when the medical or scientific establishment is wrong. You as a lay journalist are probably not going to be able to tell, I am sorry, which times those are. So slow your roll, don't envision Pulitzers, and get grounded on, you know, what the basics are instead of thinking that you kind of know better than the people who spend their lives researching this is my um, entreaty to journalists who maybe don't realize how transphobia might be playing a role in their wanting to believe certain things. Yep. And I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about the trans data library because I'm very excited about this. This sounds rad. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, a few months ago I started working, um, you know, with some other people in the trans community, most of whom are, you know, staying anonymous 
on um, a resource to try and help people who, you know, we really envision people who are in good faith, but trans issues are not their main thing. You know what I mean? So like, not somewhat, not Azim Gureshi, but maybe Azim Gureshi of five years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> the person who is a journalist who wants to get the story right, but there's so much misinformation out there. There's so many groups with so many different names. They're very skilled sometimes at, as presenting themselves as, you know, legitimate. Um, so this is the Trans Data Library um, upcoming, hopefully by the end of the month, is going to be a kind of... Um, you know, Wikipedia for the user, not Wikipedia in not like editable by the community because that's a very <laughs> bad idea for trans stuff. Yeah. Um, a resource on what are these groups? Who are these activists? What have they done in the past? It is intended as a journalistic resource, not an activist resource, which just means, you know, if someone is, there isn't anyone like this, but if someone is a Nobel Prize winning scientist, we're not going to pretend they didn't. You know what I mean? If someone has legitimate credentials, you will find that out. If someone has said things that are discrediting, you'll find that out, but it isn't just a list of the most discrediting things someone has said. And we are going to, um, you know, directly try to get this out to journalists, local journalists, particularly people, again, who have decent coverage, not people who are, you know, already on a tear, and to democratic politicians who similarly are, you know, sympathetic, but might need an extra source of information. Um, and, yeah, it is um, It is coming. I want people to be aware of it so that they can start spreading it and sharing it when it does so that we can hopefully try to, um, you know, just get some basic information into the hands of people who I think desperately need it. They may not know that they desperately need it, but desperately yeah. need basic information on some of these groups and some of these bad actors. I think that's definitely a good thing because there there is a lot of information out there on the connections between you know, the sort of right-wing grifters who come out of the woodworks talking about this stuff and, you know, the, the, they're sort of demonstrable links to far-right extremist groups, to the Proud Boys, to, you know, sort of right-wing uh, think tanks. But that's stuff that, like, a, a, the, the, the subset of trans people who spend their time doing this are all very well aware of, but the reporters who are sort of venturing into the space for the first time don't know about it all and yeah having having a thing we can put into their laps being like hey <laughs> this is <laughs> these are all the people who are like getting paid by the alliance defending freedom and yeah. stuff yeah yeah that's really what i'm helpful. hoping to make um so the URL is probably going to be transdatalibrary.org. It is a little broken right now. Go to assignedmedia.org. You know, follow me, follow my Twitter, follow my project, and watch that space for the Trans Data Library um, because I'm hoping it can do some good. Yeah, I'm 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 excited for it. And yeah, um, do you have anything else that you want to say before we close out? I think that's it for me. Thank you so much for having me on. This was really fun. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming. And thanks. Thanks for reporting on this story, because Lord knows the rest of the media wasn't going to do it. <laughs> that's why I started doing it. <laughs> All right. This has been Nick. It happened here. You can find us on Twitter, or Instagram at happened here pod. And 
yeah, go go into the world and be better about this than the New York Times, which is not an enormously high bar, but it's a bar they consistently fail to cross. So <laughs> you, too, could be superior, have superior journalistic ethics to, than the New York Times. Oh, this is what I tell myself every day. <laughs> Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.